Hello and welcome back to Scottish Educators Connect podcast. You're here with me, Anita. And me, James. Thank you for joining us for our third episode of Scottish Educators Connect podcast. Last week, we spoke with Katrina Gill about play in P1, how we do it and what parts should we focus on. In Scotland, we're in a really good place in terms of early level education. Realising the ambition, the national guidance on early level learning and childcare gives us a clear directive to try to make primary one and early learning and childcare as familiar and connected as we can for the benefit of the children we service. That, along with the early level play pedagogy toolkit, practitioners across Scotland with much experience or less experience have the tools to begin that journey. Today we are joined by two very experienced early learning and childcare practitioners. We've asked them to join us today for the second of our trio of podcasts on play in the primary school. When bridging the gap between early learning and childcare and primary one, it is important for all practitioners to know what comes before primary one so that we can try to plan for our play environment in terms of the experiences, interactions and spaces to be as familiar as possible. A big hello to both Rianne and Sharon. Hello, Rianne and Sharon. Hello. Hello. Lovely. So I'm going to start off with some introductions for you both. I'd love to um, open it up so the listeners can hear a bit more around about yourself. So um, when I ask, I'll just ask you to introduce who you are, what do you do, and what are your interests? So if I start with you, Rianne. Okay, thank you, James and Anita. I'm really delighted to be here today. Um, I work for a local authority um, nursery in Edinburgh, um, uh, and we're a 50-50 nursery, so it's quite large, um, and I love being with the children. So since March, it's been a little bit tricky not seeing any of them. Well, my interests are obviously um, early, early years and forever, of course. And when I come home, in order to de-stress, I quite like to go for a run and I actually adore baking. So that's me. Spoken like a true Frobelian. <laughs> <laughs> what about yourself, Sharon? Uh, thank you for having me. It's, it's just so nice to be um, with, with you folks um, today. And um, so I was having a think, what do I want to say about me? Well, I've been working in early years now for nearly 40 years. So I was one of the old um, SNNEB nursery nurses, and I've still got that proud moment where I got a badge, my nursery nurse's badge, when I became a nursery nurse. So for me, I started in a traditional nursery school in Aberdeen um, at the beach. So um, my days now are filled with a very similar day to what they were 40 years ago when they were filled with play and baking and woodwork and block and, of course, storytelling. And we were outdoors every day. We were at the beach, we were at the harbour. And so for me, that grounding in play and working closely with the family started 40 years ago. But then I took a post in the neonatal unit at the maternity hostel. So I've got a real interest in babies also. Um, very premature babies. I um, connected at times with parents in very stressful circumstances and that really helped me to um, be quite sensitive to parents' needs. So 
um, really recognising nurture in its true sense. So we put that package together um, and I take all of that journey into Poppy's house, which is our nursery. Um, and I've had a nursery now for 13 years, Poppy's in Lawrence Kirk. We can have 42 children for the day, zero to five. And that's that's my life now, and I very much enjoy it. That's amazing, I love Sharon. The magic that's there. Yeah, and <laughs> I'm just I'm astounded that you worked in a neonatal unit. That is just so yeah. interesting. And how much of that? I mean, you must have brought so much of that to your practice in early education. It was so completely different. So in in that sense of. I had the nursery school and then I went to do something that was completely different. And I did that for 10, 10 years until I had my own family. And it really was a very different way of working with families. But the learning that I got there, I really took with me because you really see parents at a very stressy period of their life. Um, because obviously babies are premature. And that has a worry attached to it. And sometimes um, they just needed a hand or a shoulder. And at that time, I didn't have family. And that was an important thing for me to learn that, that you know, just be there. And I, I've carried that. I still take that now. And I think it really helps me engage with my parents in a way that perhaps if I hadn't had that experience, I might not be quite so so good um, at doing it. I don't know. But you know that is i mean yeah. i would i would totally agree sharon i mean my my i've got twin boys and they were 10 weeks prem and i spent well they spent seven weeks in the neonatal unit and i really believe it had it not been for the staff there i wouldn't have got through that so i mean i totally get where you're coming from yeah, it's just it's just that sort of set alongside you uh-huh. there doesn't it yeah that, that, yeah that, yeah they, that, that, it really helps and and when they said oh it's you can go home now and i'd been in hospital for seven mm. weeks i said oh no i'm not ready to go home <laughs> like i was quite enjoying it by then <laughs> oh that's amazing I, I think it's just the whole i think i think you do learn to to nurture and be you know, one with, with 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 the parent at, at that point yes um, totally yeah good true engagement i think Sounds really special. Thank you so much, Sharon and Rianne. We are very lucky to be able to talk with you when James and I were planning our play episodes for the podcast. We definitely wanted to explore what comes before primary one and what our children are experiencing before they come to primary one. And both of you from Scottish Educators Connect stood out as the only people that we should be talking to when um, it comes to to talking about before primary one and that transition into primary one. I'm really lucky with the authority that I work in, that we have an early level central team whose dedication, knowledge and communication between ELC and P1 is really supportive. Um, And my experience of working in nursery these past years has given me just a whole new insight into what early learning looks like. Um, And looking back on my play journey, which began a few years ago now, I can honestly say that it's both my experience of being in nursery mixed with the training and support from the central team, which has given me a more rounded and balanced understanding of play, both in ELC and P1. 
But before we get into the nitty gritty, I'd love to start with Rianne, maybe if you could tell me a little bit more about, you know, your Fobelian background and how that influences your approach to working with young children. Yes, I mean, it goes back a, a, quite a bit. Um, when I left university a long time ago, I wanted to um, teach. Um, and then I got I studied languages and I got a job actually in Germany. And I spent a year in a um, pri primary school and they were very keen on Fabelian practice. Um, so that's where I first came across it a long time ago. And um, they also gave me the original Frobel Education of Man book to read. But I just found it was just it was horrendous. I mean, it, reading it in English is bad enough, but in the original German. So I, I kind of gave up on that um, after a while. And then I was also introduced to a, um, a Montessori nursery, but it was always Frobel I was I was interested in. And then I, I kind of did other things while working in Germany. And it was really after I had my own children 20 years ago that I decided I would like to go back into the early years. Um, and I requalified. And it was actually my experience with um, Lynn McNair on the BA at Edinburgh University, which drew me back into um, Fribble and the Fabelian practice. And when I completed that, I thought, gosh, what am I going to do now? Because I, I quite like learning. And of course, I did the, she said, oh, why don't you do the Fribble certificate? So that's, that's um, what kind of led me down that path. And what I like about um, the Fribelian practice and, and his pedagogy and philosophy is that it's not prescriptive. It's a kind of a principled approach. Um, we don't have set rigid rules and guidelines. Um, and as Tina Bruce says, it's also a navigational tool for us. And if you think about um, Fribel way back in, say, 1782 when he was born, and then his first kindergarten was opened in 1840, I mean, at the time, he was seen as revolutionary. And then his, his kindergartens were closed and he and um, his his philosophy was was taken all over the world. And some of it was really prescriptive. And that's not what he's about. And part of me thinks I'm, I've been on a bit of a similar journey as, as he has to a le obviously a lesser extent, just looking at the various ways that early childcare has come over the over the years. Um, but I think the basic thing is that I, I like his philosophy. Is is um, it's as I say, it's a, a navigational tool. It's not prescriptive, and he puts the child right at the centre. And that is, um, from my point of view, a socially just approach to early learning and childcare. Amazing! That's such a journey, Sharon. What about you? How did you come across Frobel? So it's funny that uh, Rianne that we have that common link of Lynn McNair. Um, yes. So, <laughs> so um, when I first opened my nursery, a friend organised a visit to Cowgate for a bit of inspiration, and that's where I met Lynn. And I had, was chatting to her, and it's just not long finished my BA in childhood practice, and she was telling me about the Frobel certificate. And they'd just run for their first year. And she said, oh, you can come and join us. And I said, from Aberdeen, oh, my goodness, you know. Um, anyway, there we are. I did that. Um, and so I joined um, year two of the course. And um, Katrina was two seats along from me, and she became a good <laughs> friend. 
And then in the master class, Rianne, you and I um, met. But really, for me, I think the course, the certificate course, um, had us write a reflective essay, reflecting back on what had shaped your practice over the years. And and then I was actually able to see that I'd always been Frobelian. Um, this strong sense of working in partnership with parents and the wider community and this need for the sense of belonging, the links, the connections that children could make with life and work. That was really important to me then, but I didn't really know that was Frobelian then, but I do know that now. And then linking with my work, you know, parents overwhelmed by the love of these new tiny infants but also with a worry and the role that I played there um, helping you know the parents which Froebel felt was of great value that we always work in connection with with our parents was you know another strong part um, to this I could see very clearly when I look back my journey and so now when I look at my practice I think, actually, am I doing anything much different now, 40 years on from what I did at my traditional school nursery when I first trained? No, I'm not. The physical environment and everything that we do with play is exactly the same. I'm quite traditional. We still have all the same things that I had all those years ago. But the bit that's changed in me now is that I have a much deeper understanding of why I do what I do. And my underpinning knowledge, my civilian knowledge, actually is far, is far greater. And with us, Rianne, I think, having done the year with the MSc in education and, and Froebel, um, I can see my learning's not anywhere near complete yet. I'm still challenging myself and questioning my work and just using my study to support me sometimes to stand my ground you know I'm not a lover of tracking children's learning in any sort of tick sheet form and I've used my fribillion knowledge to to hold my ground sometimes with that so that's yeah, kind I, of my fribillion journey <laughs> really I think you're I think you're right I think you know just deepening your knowledge and and it makes you um, understand why, like you said, Shan, why we do what we do. And we've got the theory behind it to back up the practice of what we do. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I need it sometimes. <laughs> I think so do I. <laughs> that we, we talked to Katrina with last week on, on last week's podcast was around about the ongoing continuous professional learning and development for staff in terms of honing our own skills as as practitioners. Um, And it's been great over uh, last week's podcast hearing Katrina's approach to her Frobelian principles and and then again with yourselves this week around about hearing your own Frobelian journey. But for the listeners, what would be really helpful to unpick is what you consider to be play in early learning and childcare. What does what does play look like for you? I'm going to ask you first, Sharon. Oh my goodness! So well, play. It's just so hard to um, to define that. Um, we we kind of looked a little bit on the course and on one of our close um, course modules, and and when you really look at it, many people have just got so many different perspectives on how you view play. And I'm not even sure that there's a right or wrong definition to play. 
for me, I, I say all the time, um, we need to remember and think about play. It's a right. You know, we children have that right to engage in play under Article 31 of the United Convention of Children's Rights. So it is their right to um, to be able to do it. So I try and keep that in the forefront of my head um, when, when I'm working. But when I was writing my um, chapter for the storytelling book, um, I read some of the work of Vivian Gusson Pally, which I know some of you are reading um, now, and the emphasis she put on just providing the right environment to play at a supportive environment, but not one that is dominated or controlled by an adult, one um, that takes time to listen and hear children's stories and play and just really help them make connections through literature and drama, it, you know, um, the adult is just so important to support rather than dominate. And I think that's where Froebel really holds, holds true, this freedom with guidance um, and making sure that, that we step in and out at, at, the, at the correct um, point in time to be able to, to move play um, forward. For me, in my nursery, it's really important that we understand that those that work with our youngest children really need to understand the importance of play and how we can support it. And realising the ambition actually talks about the adult role as a, as a real delicate balance. Rebellions call it freedom with guidance. They're one and the same thing. That is a delicate balance um, there. In, uh, on a day-to-day -day basis in my nursery, we, are, we all try and play um, and we try and remind the adults to play. Sometimes you get caught up in the busyness of routine, this particular in my nursery, because you know, we're doing care throughout the day also and we can get a bit caught up in some of, some of these bits and pieces. But play in our nursery, it can be someone tucked underneath a table with some wee small world or with a group of friends role-playing in the housey corner. It can be busy. It can be up a tree, hanging upside down and shouting to your friends. It can be playing with a doll. It could be singing with, with right. And the, the list's absolutely endless. How, how do we talk about playing? And, and at Poppies, <laughs> it's free flow. It's indoors. It's outdoors. Um, we use Tina Bruce's 12 features of quality play. So we kind of look to see that, you know, we're ticking some of these bits and pieces that say they are really engaged in the play, which is a good basis, particularly for my junior staff, actually. The 12 features of quality play um, really lets us see, you know, if, if we're achieving a number of these um, features, we know that really good things are going on um, within the play in, in our um, nursery. So, yeah. Play for me, freedom to choose what you want, where you want to be, how you want to do it. Um, it's what Tina calls free flow play. We work with free flow play at Poppies. It allows <laughs> children time and space so that we can wallow in our play because I love <laughs> There it is. There's the word. I need, I need to wallow. Poppies children need to wallow. We need to be able to have time to really get into that play so that we can get no interruption from any adults, no interruption, deeper level of engagement for me. And then we can stay back, watch, 
see where it goes, and then we can we can step in with that sensitivity and respect um, for the right time. Now, yeah, we get that wrong. And you know what? I've killed Playstone dead many a time by just absolutely, <laughs> absolutely stepping in at the wrong time. Me I think too. every <laughs> practitioner, every practitioner must resonate with that. I mean, Julie Fisher wrote a book about that, Interactor Interfere. And some days I have been known to interfere when I just shouldn't have. Um, but most times, you know, we should be able to just offer that support and give children a little bit of thought to help extend on and build on their own interests. And then that absolutely helps us to plan and make sure that the our plan for what they're doing is truly responsive to our children. So I think that's it for me. That's, <laughs> that's a long-winded, a long-winded play. Um, I definitely think that, that's. We need a, a ding, ding, ding sound effect, Anita. Um, every time we hear the phrase "wallow." Uh, wallow in the play, <laughs> definitely. What well, about it's you, funny you say Leanne? that, James, because sorry, it was funny you say that, James, because I was half expecting Sharon to start with play as the highest expression of human development in childhood. So I'm surprised we didn't get that, which is a throw. I think Leanne might say that. <laughs> Leanne might say that. Leanne, that might come from Leanne. To you. Well, yeah, I mean, I could just. Um, <laughs> Kind of say what 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 Sharon has said resonates with what I believe play is. I'm so glad you mentioned wallow, Sharon. It's such a fantastic word. Um, so that's three of us wallowing in play, um, with Katrina, Katrina included. Um, again, I would just say you know it's very difficult um, from a Frobelian perspective to actually define play. Um, if you look to um, Liebschner, who um, wrote his book, Play is a Child's Work, in 1992, that's what he would say. He would also say that play for a child is deeply serious and significant, and it's never trivial. Um, so for a child, you know, play is, is it's important. Um, and, I, you know, sometimes play is not valued. Um, he he says that in his book too, um, or understood by many, and it becomes a kind of a casualty um, because people don't fully understand it. But it is it is a, a difficult concept to get your head round. Um, the other thing that's central to play is it, the children, it's an inner drive. You can't make a child play. Um, it has to come from them. Uh, and it's got to be about self-activity. Um, but Frebel would say that self-activity is not enough um, the child um, in his deep play, when he wallows in his play, he becomes more aware of his own learning. Um, and again, Sharon mentioned the uh, Realising Ambition, which I think is a, a magnificent document because it really underpins so much, so many principles, Fabillion principles. And they talk about um, the mind-mindedness, which links back to this um, thinking, children thinking about their play, and that's part of their learning. You know, a child doesn't really differentiate between play and learning. A child just plays. And then, you know, you think, oh, gosh, he's learned that through his play, which is, which is great. Um, cause, so they don't really see play and learning as separate. Um, and it's, a, it's, it's fundamental to children's development because they, they need their play in order to, um, to develop as, as well. Um, play shouldn't be directed. 
um, you know, it has to come from from the child. It's free flow, as Sharon said. Um, oh, I, I think I've probably said enough. I, I, maybe at this point, I just want to mention, I don't know if any um, of the listeners or yourselves have heard about the Crow Project. Um, it's It was a Swedish or Finnish initiative, and it's critiqued by Moss uh, in one of his books in 2013. And it, he talks about, you know, sometimes uh, practitioners have an agenda for children because we always want them to learn. We want to, you know, help them. Um, and it puts, you know, play in a really meaningful context for the children. And it's about a child who's interested in a crow. And, you know, as a practitioner, uh, 10, 15 years ago, I probably bring out bird books and I talk about all kinds of scientific facts about birds. Was actually all the child's interested in is this crow it's really just to listen to the child and what's important for him is not always what's important for the practitioner. So that's that to me brought home what play is too um, for a child because the child doesn't have any predetermined outcomes as adults often do. Um, so, yeah, play is you can you can go on and on about play, what it is, what it isn't. I, th I think, Rianne, you're right there on the predetermined. Um, sometimes adults can be pre, well, not, not so much, yeah, probably are predetermined in that they can sometimes have a plan that isn't the child's plan. And yes. one, of, one of the things that I really push in our environment is that we have a rich learning environment that uses a lot of open-ended materials. And Absolutely. that's purposely so that children can have that complete autonomy to explore and create and investigate what they want to do by themselves, motivated to do that by themselves. And yeah. we can sit alongside that or join that, but it's not for us to say and think how we think that's then going to go. We uh, need yeah, to watch yeah. yes, and, and just mean, listen and see what's going on. Yes, I mean the thing about listening is just so important um, because as adults, you know, sometimes we do try and control, not intentionally or always, no. but we do, and that's why I refer to you know Fabelian practice as a socially just practice because it doesn't have this hierarchy of adult child. Um, you know, it takes Verbal always encourage children to take responsibility for their own lives. Um, and we talk about this um, dialogic pedagogy. We come to the same level as the children um, and equal adult-child re relationships. Sharon, this one is for you. We're really interested to unpick some of that notion of the transition from early learning and childcare to primary one, acknowledging that the early level for most children spans across that age three to six. So for you, in terms of your experience within early learning and childcare, what's important, what are the challenges, and what's important for schools and for teachers to know in order to make the transition as supportive and relational as possible for each and every child? Well, that's a really good question. Um, so for me, I... I'm quite passionate about transition and getting that right. I, th I think you kind of know that already. Um, it's hugely important for children, particularly in the private sector nursery, 
uh, which is where I am, because the school is an unknown environment for them. So they don't, in, in a school nursery, you've got the school environment, they can pop through and, you know, go and visit the gym, do other bits and pieces that's connected with the school, but we don't actually have that. Um, so that is a challenge in itself before before we start. So we've, we've kind of got that unknown. Um, for me as well, there's a very big difference sometimes when you come from an environment like mine, which is very much free flow. And as we've spoken already about children having the autonomy to choose how and where they want to play and how they learn. And then you find yourself in a completely different classroom environment where some of that autonomy is actually taken away from you because you um, maybe only get to play after you've done a piece of work, which can be quite a big difference for a child. So it's important for me that we do some work together um, so that the child gets to really know about the classroom ahead of the time. Um, and and also, not just in June, before, <laughs> before we go off to school. And, you know, that sometimes I think it can be a bit of a tick box exercise for June. Um, I, I would really like to see, this is my opinion, I would really like to see transition done throughout the year in, in some fashion where we could, um, as staff perhaps, talk together, where we could build some relationships with, with, with the school staff so that we can share information so that when it comes to the child moving off to primary one, um, we can share information for continuity for their learning, which is, is also um, quite a big, important piece of information I think you need to have. But I think also... A recognition which I'm not always sure that they they do understand in, in primary one is that some of our children have been with us at nursery for four four and a half years of their life and we've got a lot of learning stories to tell teachers and to share about the child and about their family and how we've actually worked together as, as a family over the years and it's really important for me, and I say this to my parents too, we need to get this transition right, not just for your child, but for you as a parent too, because parting from a nursery that you've been, that you've handed your precious bundle over at six months, and that is the first attachment to another adult other than the parents, and they've, they've put all their trust in us to take this baby. Um, and and they've had to do that first transition themselves almost and, and we make these attachments with that child. We've got that attachment for four years, not just with the child, but with the parent who's got a trust in us um, to look after their child. And they've had that for, for four years. And parting from nursery is very hard for our parents, probably harder than our children. Children are quite resilient. They'll just can just hop on and get on with the next stage of their life and they never look back sometimes. But for the parents, that, that parting, some, sometimes they tell me that, that they've got a real sense of, of loss. And, and when, particularly when the, 
the family in its entirety move on. Sometimes we have two or three members of a family and, the, and they move on. And some, some of them liken that to a bereavement. Um, these, these close relationships are so important to them and they miss that daily engagement. Just that five minutes that we have chatting about how the day's been, how their day's been. And that's something that, that, that they miss when, when they go off to school. So I think it's important that we see that parents need that transition too. They need the time to get to know your new routines in primary one and, and how it's different and build up new ways um, of working in a different way, but so that you can have that same supportive relationships with school staff. So it's quite it, it's really quite important for me to get, get that right. And I work really hard. We've got more than one um, primary school that, that we work with and we try and work um, with, with each of them um, in the way that, that, that they like um, to do that. So each school has a different view of transition, of course, and the importance of it too. So that can be a bit of a problem sometimes. Hopefully with transitions being such a big focus of um, the realising the ambition guidance, I think that many primary one classes will begin to, if they don't already value the importance, you know, of the relationship with the nursery setting before the children come into primary one, but also with the families. I'm, I mean, I'm really lucky. I've worked in um, two really excellent schools in Edinburgh where the communication with families and that kind of more informal catch-up at the beginning end of the day is a really, really strong part of their parent engagement and family involvement, just catching up at the beginning and end of the day like they would do at nursery. And I think that it's a really simple thing that we can do to make families just feel a bit more connected to what their children are doing at school. Um, my experience over... Um, teaching for a number of years has seen it become progressively better in the ways in which we engage families in school and it doesn't always need to be at you know a fair a formal parents evening or a, a Christmas fair I think that families really value that informal nature of, of communication actually. I, th I think you're right because you know often we've we've had occasion we, what we do is um, we have have parents and children back sort of late September. They come for afternoon tea after school, and <laughs> um, <laughs> and the boys and girls go outside um, and they climb a tree and do what they need to do. Um, and the parents have a cup of tea and the cake, and we have a bit of a, a bit of leather. And one of the things that they do say is that they miss just that five minutes just to say it was okay today, it went okay. And I think what you're saying, Anita, is really good because that's lovely if the teacher can just step out the door and just give that that reassurance um, that, that the day's gone well. And it's informal because they have that fear also of the 10 minutes parents' evening um, also. We, we don't work with that in our yeah. nursery yeah. and we have a very open parents evening where we, we talk about the importance of block play and then they'll they'll come and, and they'll play blocks 
and we'll <laughs> be hands on and, and we'll do that or we'll go and we we walk to um, the forest together we did it as the children would do so that they're learning a little bit but we are having a parents evening where parents can really network together and then they go to school and it's very much this um, formal you know appointment time now I know that is the way that you you do um, what you do but they do have a little bit of a fear of that it is a bit of a big milestone, isn't it? Speaking mm -hmm. of milestones, this question's for Rianne, okay? Some right. teachers who are going to be delivering play pedagogy in primary one maybe won't have had as much or any ELC or nursery experience. Can you share something which you think is important for teachers to know about what happens before children come to be come to P1? What's their experience of learning before they come to us in school? Um, gosh, that's a very, very good question. Um, I was going to talk about transitions. Um, however, um, I would say that, again, the fantastic document, Realising Ambition, talks about a play pedagogy beyond the um, you know, early learning. And I think that's so important. And Froebel as well regarded childhood as from zero to eight years. So if you think when children start school, it can be anything from four to five years. So you've got that huge one year gap. And so I think it's really important for um, the practitioner, the teacher, the staff member to have a good grounding in um, how, how good play is, because play is the child's learning and how important it is to carry that on as part of the transition. And again, realising ambition talks about the learning environment, um, talks about you know, the, the learning environment in terms of interactions, experiences and spaces. So that, you know, that needs to be carried on into the um, primary class and the teacher has to be aware of how important the interactions are. Again, it's relationships, adult-child relationships, the experiences that are being provided, they have to be meaningful. Um, young children of four, four and a half, who do start school, I mean, they're not interested in the learning, they're interested in play <laughs> and, and that's <laughs> how they learn. So if you grasp that concept, that that's how a child plays, uh, sorry, learns, then, you know, Bob's your uncle, you've got it. Um, and if the practitioner, teacher, whoever realises that, then that's the way into the, into the child. You know, it's, it's meaningful to them. Again, the other thing they need to be aware of is that they have to move at the, you know, the speed of the child. I mean, the realising ambition states that quite clearly. It's a really important part of transition. Um, start where the child is at, move at the speed of the child, um, and, and know how important play is for the child. Um, because children beyond the early um, learning sector in P1 and 2 often are still interested in concrete um, things, not abstract things. It doesn't mean anything to them. They haven't quite got there with the symbols and symbolism and things like that. Nor are they driven by long-term goals. And they're just interested in the here and now and I think that's really important when you're trying to um, uh, when you're trying to transition into P1. This is what they're used to. Um, and up till about the years of five, six, seven, eight, 
they are just interested in the here and now perspective. Um, they just want to play and a skilled practitioner will be able to put in that learning through the play. Um, I think it's, yeah, it, it, even in P1, it's just a natural part of children's everyday life play. It's still there. Um, use it as a medium for learning. That's, that's important. Upskill the staff. Um, make them aware of how important play is. Um, go back to realising ambition. The other thing, too, I thought of, actually, is curriculum for excellence. P1 is still part of the first level mm -hmm. of the curriculum for excellence. So, you know, what they've been doing in nursery should be a natural transition onto, um, onto P1. And that's why it's important to, you know, know the child, to see, you know, what their interests are, what they do. Um, just, just one note on, on transition, which I found interesting. I was reading a little bit about it and Sharon mentioned it about it being seamless. And Katrina mentioned it about being seamless in her podcast. And Sharon also mentioned um, the importance of involving the families and the communities in this transition. But just to kind of throw in something here, um, you know, seamless transitions are great, but <clears throat> is there some value in ch children experiencing the excitement and challenge of what transitions can bring? If you make it all the same, they might think, Oh, you know, they might actually enjoy the excitement of a transition. I just thought I'd mention that because I found that quite interesting. I mean, obviously, it's got to be in, in the child's interests and um, it's not got to be de detrimental to the child. But some of them might really enjoy the prospect of that transition um, and, and maybe the excitement of it, too. What a really interesting pondering to to end on there, Rianne. Thank you for that. And thank you to both you and Sharon. It's been such a pleasure having you on the podcast with us today. And it's always really insightful for, for me and I know for a number of our listeners to hear from the early learning and childcare sector and particularly in how we can ensure that we have that joined up early level approach to early education. Next week, we're going to be joined by Charlotte Bowes and Anna Shamild, who are two experienced Primary 1 teachers who have been through a play journey of their own. Um, both of them have written blog posts for Scottish Educators Connect that you may want to check out in advance of next week's episodes. We're having Anna and Charlotte join us to show the range of existing experiences of play pedagogy across Scotland. This isn't a new concept for us as a nation but we are all on a different route to play pedagogy in our practice. And as Anita talked about at the beginning, realising the ambition, the new national practice guidance, empowers us to consider where we are and where to next in our ambition to get it right for every child. Thank you all for joining us. We always appreciate those of you who listen to, share and just give us really good feedback on this podcast. You can follow what we are doing by visiting scottisheducatorsconnect.com or searching hashtag scottisheducatorsconnect on Twitter. Tune in next week for more of the same. Sharon, Rianne, thank you so, so much. Thank well, you thank, for having thank, me. Yes, thank you for having us. It's, it's, it's an honour, to be honest, an honour. <laughs> no, yeah. we are the ones. <laughs>
who are honoured. <laughs> I, th- I think it is. It's it's just been a real privilege to be able to do it. Yeah, um, absolutely. So thank yeah. you for that. Oh, thank, thank you. you. And thank you. James, until next time. See ya. Until next time. Bye. 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 Thank you.